Ciao fam, and welcome back to More Than a Meal podcast, episode two. On today's podcast, we're sitting down to chat with Rashab and Adam of Backbar Solutions. Backbar Solutions aims to help out bartenders across the country, especially in the busiest bars and restaurants. Their product is a fully automated cocktail dispensing machine. It's really cool stuff, and they have really cool experiences that they bring up uh, in the podcast. And so... If you want to learn more, uh, you can check them out at backbar.com or go to their YouTube page, search Backbar Solutions, and watch some of their videos. But without further ado, here's Adam and Rashad. So this is uh, More Than a Meal podcast, Just sitting down today to chatting with Adam Elgore and Rashab, uh, Rashab, I do not know how to say your last name. <laughs> All I'm right, sorry. Let's, let's just stick with Rashab. Call him Rich <laughs> Rashab. Either Got way, it. both these awesome gentlemen are part of uh, Backbar Solutions. It's a startup. I'm not going to give it justice, so I'll pass the reins off to you guys to uh, really tell us all about what's like, what do you guys do? Sure. Yeah. So like no said, we're, we're back bar solutions. We're two, two of the four co-founders here. Um, simply put, we're like making like an automated cocktail dispenser for bars and restaurants. Um, I don't know how long winded you want me to get here, but basically, all right, we'll get into it. Basically, (laughs) um, what we're trying to do is make bars more efficient, but like try to try to kind of preserve the atmosphere you look for when you, when you're going to a restaurant. So, I mean, let's, let's just put it this way. Like I got the last time we were at, again, this is pre pre coronavirus, but if you're at a place like, like a Chili's or an Applebee's, like a neighborhood neighborhood bar restaurant, um, and you're just sitting down with your friends at a table and you're ordering a drink. Um, our machine is kind of for that, for that kind of place. It's to make cocktails for people sitting at the table. And that allows like restaurants to do a couple of different things. First, it allows them to like save costs on making the drinks, makes the bar more efficient. Um, it gets people sitting at tables their drinks faster. But the second thing is for the bartenders that are working the bar, it frees up their time to focus on the people sitting in front of them. So if you're a bartender, a lot of times what happens and when we talk to bartenders, they tell us the story again and again is when things get busy at a restaurant bar, you, you find yourself just making drinks endlessly for people that aren't even sitting like in front of you. And so we, when we set out to do this, we're like, if we accomplish two things, it's going to be successful. If we can give bartenders more time, to do customer service. And if we can save bar owners money, because nobody gets into restaurants to make a ton of money. It's a labor of love. Um, and like, uh, and so if we can, if we can give them a little more peace of mind, a little more money and we can help bartenders do their jobs where we think we can be successful. So that's kind of where all of this started. I mean, where do you two, like you as individuals fit into this whole scheme of things? Yeah. So um, Rashab here is the CEO of our company and he's basically been handling everything business related um, for, our, for our company. We've been um, setting ourselves up for uh, 
to raise for our seed round. So we've been doing a lot of work on that end that Rashad has been uh, spearheading. And then, yeah, you, like I've, I've basically been What doing, do you do, Adam? Come on. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> the, I'm the mechanical engineering guy and the, the design guy. So I've been working on a lot of the actual physical products, um, making sure uh, it works as intended. It doesn't break down. And um, yeah, and we get it for as, as cheap as possible, basically. Uh, on top of that, I do a lot of the design work for the, the website and for our marketing material. Yeah, I mean, like one thing that's true for almost any startup and not just me and Adam, other two co-founders too, like what what you do is an interesting question because it's <laughs> it's not like like a defined job role. Like before I did Backbar, like I had a job, I had a list of tasks that I did every day. Um, but between the four of us, like it's like we change hats all the time. Um, just like right now, Adam and I are working together on like doing like a like a marketing campaign through the mm -hmm. mail and we're working on designing a postcard like I'm helping with some of like the content and Adam's making sure like it looks presentable that it gets people excited and that's not like part of any of our job responsibilities like there's no book somewhere that says the CEO writes content for <laughs> for a postcard yeah. and 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 Adam makes things look nice it's just like what do we have to do to like reach our goals and, what does that yeah. mean what we have to do today and who's the best for doing that and you kind of just take it day by day like that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it is cool and i guess a little background for anyone listening if there is <laughs> but no like seriously uh background i think you guys have this really cool perspective in that you are all well sort of college friends in the sense half yeah. of you guys were high school friends yeah i want to back up because how did you guys even meet like four founders is kind of a lot right. in my opinion normally it's like a guy or two dudes like yeah how'd you guys it, it meet is, each other it is a lot yeah we've um uh we've seen a lot of other teams and usually they're like closer to like two or three two members or three, yeah. um but yeah. we met really organically it was it was kind of nice um i so there's four of us there's me rashab kevin and brian um, and I was roommates with Brian um, since my sophomore year of college. Uh, we've been living together since then. And then on our in our senior year, Rashab graduated early and he got a job in Atlanta, which is where we were studying. So he was living with us in our apartment. Um, and then so the three of us basically sparked the idea of Backbar together. Um, Brian was working on a home project, which was a automated cocktail mixer for like the kitchen, just something really small and kind of this fun. This was to just do. for fun, like just, just fun. for fun. You, you wanted to like, create this. <laughs> he, okay, so that. he's he's a computer engineer. So this okay. is basically way up his wheelhouse. Um, and yeah, he just makes cocktail so, dispensers. Yeah, no big deal. It, it was really nothing special. It was just going to be like a bunch of tubes going into a few different bottles, and and that was it. Um, <laughs> and then I got really excited about it, and was like, oh, we could totally make it look like this or like this. And we ended up making this crazy giant gumball machine looking device. It was, it was more woodworking than it was engineering. Um, so we had a lot of fun with that. And then partway through, Rashab just like came over. Yeah, it was <laughs> like, so uh, it's actually a funny story. One day, Adam and Brian were kind of doing their thing. So one day, um, like a, we, we had like a little Halloween party at our house and um, the people were going to like, like in a haunted house and we only had so many tickets. So it was like a couple of people had to stay home. And I was like, I'll stay home. And Brian was working on the project. Um, and I was just sitting next to Brian, uh, eating Thai food, you know, just the normal, like casual <laughs> guys night in or whatever <laughs> it was. And I was just watching Brian work and I'm like, and I'm like thinking about all the times that like I've gone to a bar after work, um, and like stood there for like 20 minutes, like waving my cash around, trying to get the bartender's attention. 
And I was like, why isn't this a thing in restaurants? So I, st- I think I stayed up until like two o'clock in the morning that night, like Googling around. I was like, is anybody doing something like this? Mm-hmm. And um, I found out like there's some things, but then nobody had really done like gotten anywhere with it. So like on like a, like a, like a little piece of paper, I scratched down what my idea was. <laughs> and I like waited super late for Adam to come home. Sounds still angry. Come through the door. And then I fell asleep and I woke up the next morning and told him about it. And that's kind of how we um, got off to the races. Mm. Kind of going further back from that though, me, Brian and Kevin actually have known each other since like middle school. Uh, so yeah, we, we, were, we were in the same math class since like, fifth grade so it was like kind of like this feeling when you're kids like yeah wanted to be cool if one day you know we grow up and do something together and then like we were all like kind of like the same nerdy type of kids in like the 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 math classes and so when it was like time to like actually make a company out of it it was like hey we get to like live our dreams we've been we've been like thinking about like we've been wanting to do this theoretically since we were in elementary school we have this chance we're young like let's just go for it so that's kind of kind of the backstory. Were, were you guys all on board? Like when you brought this idea to Adam, were you, like, uh, Adam, were you like, yeah, this is great. Okay. Or were you like, right. dude, like, no. That is a, that is a great question. Cause I would say Rashab and I were, we're the type of people to, to really jump into something. So we were 120% from day one. Um, but then Brian and, and Kevin, but specifically Brian, um, it took a little bit longer to, uh, um, to get him on board because he had a job at Amazon lined up and same with Kevin had a job at Microsoft lined up. So these are, these are good, good, well, never heard of them. These yeah. are smart guys. <laughs> like smartest guys we know smarter than us. Um, yeah, for sure. And, and we basically <laughs> had to convince them that throwing that all away and starting a cocktail machine company um, with no prior experience was the better choice. But I will say this, the fact that they did ask a ton of questions and played a lot of devil's advocate is like still good for, yeah, for our sure. company today. If all four people would have just been like me and Adam, this company could not have been successful. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. like you need, it all comes down to like having that balance of like personalities as well as skill sets. A lot of people, like sometimes, a lot of times people focus on like, oh, do you have a mechanical engineer? Do you have an electrical engineer? Do you have like yeah. someone who focuses in the business? Like skill set balance, which is of course very important. But do you have like, a personality balance. Yeah. You have like yeah. a, a viewpoint balance, a, di- a diversity of opinions when you're tackling different questions. And like from the inception of our company and how like the four of us treated it differently to today, those things remain valuable. Yeah. See, that, that's, I think is super underrated in that. I mean, we've been around for, for a couple of years now. We've, we've been at one of the best hardware accelerators um, in the world. And we've met a lot of other startup teams. The one thing that we've seen over and over again that kills startups and kills young companies is um, like infighting or disagreements amongst the co-founders. Mm-hmm. It's not that they couldn't make a good product. It's not that they couldn't um, find a good market fit. It's literally just like something between the founders. So we've been lucky to have relatively like, like little problems, like problems between us. So like that's been super helpful along our way. Well, yeah, not to uh, stir things up a little bit, but like, how do you guys <laughs> kind of continue that along and make sure you aren't one of those that kind of fall apart? You know, it sounds like you had a great foundation, but then I'm obviously, you know, re- relationships take work and whatnot. Yeah, so, yeah of course. Think? And I think like Adam and I have talked about this before. It is definitely hard to be really good friends mm-hmm. and be in business together. It's like, 
like for for example, like Adam and I were living together before this, and now Kevin and I live together, and Adam and Brian live together. So it's like you sometimes you go through like a lot of tense moments to work, and you go home, and it's like oh. <laughs> we just argued about this at work uh but a lot of it just is like like getting things over with as they come up um mm-hmm. i think we've done a pretty good job of not letting like arguments fester and a lot of it is because we were friends and we're so open with each other you'll often hear what approaches yelling in the back of our office but it's never viewed as like mean-spirited it's just like knowing that all of us need to like blow off steam and like get our Mm. get our voices heard sometimes and if you're like if you're comfortable enough as people knowing that like people's feelings aren't going to get hurt um then if you if if we can like basically release things as they come up then nothing grows like there's i don't think there's ever been like more than a one day argument in the back and i think that's because we like get things out of the way when they come up like if we have opposing points of views it's like you better solve this now otherwise like it's going to become worse later mm-hmm. so i guess my own personal experience with you guys uh was when i was visiting adam in atlanta at the time and i think this is oh man i don't know i i i just have this vision in my head of if anyone's seen uh, the hbo show silicon valley it was exactly that <laughs> yeah. um i believe you were in a three-bedroom apartment <laughs> there were four males living in this house technically one a two-bedroom the- apartment but there was an office oh don't, don't I'm tell sorry. the landlord <laughs> sorry one person was in the office the other person i think that was you Rashad. you yeah. had a very heavy curtain obviously separating <laughs> you between the living room and <laughs> your bedroom i guess i want to say in quotes um yeah i mean yeah i mean we don't don't be little my bedroom though yeah i'm sorry (laughs) i I lived there for a year i mean no it's a it's definitely like one of those funny stories we get to tell now that didn't feel so funny at the time like i know um, a lot of times, like when, like I hear like Mark Cuban on podcasts or Track Tank, he's talking about like when his first company got started, it was five people in a two bedroom apartment, mm-hmm. and he talks about it like it's the glory days, uh-huh. and and <laughs> to a certain extent it is, but to another extent, the only thing keeping me from the living room was a curtain. So uh, it it goes both ways. Yeah, well, R- Rashab, it sounds like I think Brian would say it was the glory days because he got really cheap rent in his own bedroom. <laughs> You, on the other hand, well, yeah, you know, you got the short end of the stick there. So (laughs) all I'll say is if I wasn't living behind that curtain, back bar probably never happens. And, you know, as leadership. So I guess we have the curtain to thank for all this. We'll thank the curtain for sure. But no, another, I think, really cool thing about that weekend when I uh, met up with you guys was just that. It was, I believe you were like a thousand dollars away from running out of money. Like you had, uh, you were going to a fair, I believe, and you didn't know if you had enough money to pay, like, I think it was like gas to get there. You were talking about, can we even like rent a van? Can we, do we have enough money to even like register for this fair? I don't know. There was like, you were generally like, there was concerns, like, I don't know yeah, what this is going to happen like kind me. of deal. Yeah, what does that feel like? It, yeah. Because, like, what is going through your brain that makes you want to just keep going? Is it just because you're so far in at this point? 
a, a little bit of it is that a little bit of it is like, and, and so I remember exactly when, when Nils came actually, because I think that month we were set to run out of money. So you're, you're exactly right. So, um, <laughs> well, cause then, Oh, I was just going to say, cause it was that month. And then I believe you were mid application with the uh, yeah. accelerator. It and it was like this long shot of like, ah, we're not going to get it. Like, you know, whatever. And then you, I think you found out like a week later yeah. that you, it was, it. it was definitely a make or break time that summer where we had spent, um, months at that point working like tirelessly on on producing something to show for um and if we weren't going to get any traction we were worried that that was that was it and we'd have to move on so i mean like i i would definitely be lying to you guys and i don't want to do that on your third podcast maybe maybe we <laughs> oh, come you're back, so nice. time. <laughs> but, back on but, the 20th then lie to yeah. us <laughs> then we can then we can tell some lies but yeah. um I would lie to you if, it, if I was if I were to say it was easy to sleep, um, but like like it, it's super stressful, especially because like how young we were, like 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 if I say that it was like ten years ago, it was two years ago. Um, but I, it, I'm also like super proud of everything we did back then. We were just talking about it earlier today, mm-hmm. um, and we just had an investor meeting where people like the investor was like, "It's really cool what you guys were able to do with such little money," because. From when we started the company to when we did our like first installation in a restaurant, we, we, we put in fifteen hundred dollars each. Twenty five hundred dollars each, like for twenty five hundred dollars. Like we like like we had done that on like ten grand and some money from Georgia Tech, and it's like mm-hmm. super cool looking back all that we were able to do with that money. And then as you like get through like this this like experience of having a startup, and you learn this from other people, like one of our best friends um, from our accelerator, his name's Noah, and he he really taught me this. He, he basically is like whole mantra. It's like, you can't get too high. You can't get too low. And there's only a certain amount of things like you can control. And it's like some of one of those things that you feel like your mom tells you from like when you're a kid, like, I, I don't know how many times I used to be like the kind of kid that like got stressed for tests in school. So now when my company's out of running, out of running out of money, you, you can imagine what my like emotions were like. My mom right. always used to say that like, you, you can only control what you can control. And you got to leave like the, the rest to like God or whatever faith you believe in and it's just like at, at times like that like that stuff is like super true like if we were we were honestly doing our best mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, if, yeah. if if somebody was going to believe in that and give us money to keep going that would be like the best thing and that ended up happening but if somebody didn't do that like the amount we grew as people in those six months and we would have taken it like all the way to like to the end like yeah. like like the amount we grew as people we we did our best and mm-hmm. and the more you can get into the mindset of like believing in just what you can control the, the more you can be successful in this space because if you start worrying about really worrying about stuff like that when you're doing a startup there are so many voices out there that you can you can really get lost so mm-hmm. uh this is like two big things from like going back to that time i'm proud of what we did even though we ended up finding the gas money we made it to that fair <laughs> it worked and even though it was stressful we learned a lot and i feel like like we're going through a similar thing right now like we're not mm-hmm. running out of money or anything but we're raising more money and we just we're having meetings and I, like i can see for myself that i'm like less nervous and stressed today than i was a year and a mm-hmm. half ago and that's just because like wow. that experience taught us things yeah. 
I think I would even build on that and say that uh, like the thing that kept me going the most was having like a strong support network around me, whether it's like my family members and all of our family members when we first started out. Um, it might have taken them a little bit to get on board initially, but once they were on board, like they were helping us any way we can, no matter no matter what we needed, if we need a place to stay, if we need like um, like food on our on our plate, like they were always there for us. Same with friends and family, like literally everyone, everyone who we we've come across that uh, that we've met along the way has done everything they can to like put us in a position of success. And yeah. even even if it's not much to offer, even if it's just coming around and helping out and lending a hand, just help us move large objects to a like when we installed our machine in in Atlanta back like a year and a half ago. Um, our, our friend Morgan, like he, he didn't have to, he had no reason to, but he literally helped install our machine, like for how many hours? That was like a full day. That yeah, was like, at least a full of, day. of like heavy, like heavy lifting <laughs> of, of working with like tubes with syrup in it. Like, and he had plans. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot, it, it, a lot of people have, have made a lot of sacrifices to help us get oh. to where we're at. So mm-hmm. like, if we could zoom in a little bit on uh, one particular part of your journey, I think it's really interesting the time period once you got the funding from the accelerator uh, mm-hmm. to right when the coronavirus hit, because you guys were spending time in uh, China, right outside of Hong Kong. Yep. Shenzhen. Going, Shenzhen, mm-hmm. thank you. Uh, and you're going through not only the Hong Kong protests, but uh, coronavirus started to pick up, I believe, at that point, along with literally fast-tracking a business like I haven't really had I haven't personally been able to hear how you guys kind of how that experience was I don't know if you guys have any interesting thoughts on that but I mean uh surreal is is like a start I guess um like I felt we were jumping from one major um world uh news story to the next just like Mm -hmm. living our day-to-day lives whether it's like the yeah like you said the the Hong Kong protests or like the privacy concerns of of the Chinese government or, um, or yeah, of corona- coronavirus. It was just like constantly something, something in the background that was just like looming over us. Um, but I guess, you know, uh, it didn't really change how we were acting. Like we were, yeah. we were full sending like our, sh- we were in, okay. This accelerator is known for one thing. It's, we will make developing hardware as quick as developing software is in other countries. So you come in and you want a new um, uh, board made or you want a new um, piece of machined aluminum made, like you can get that done and sent out and then return back to you in 24 hours or less. Um, So we really had to put our foot to the gas while we were there and kind of just like filter everything out um, and just keep iterating on our designs and um, really getting to a point where we have something to show for in our in our five to six months that we that we have in Shenzhen. Um, and how yeah. many iterations did you guys go from, mm-hmm. from when you got there to when you yeah. were so leaving? We got to Shenzhen, we built one version of the machine. Um, then we built, I think, two more full versions of the machines with like four or five iterations on like smaller subsystems while we were there. Um, and like, it was, it was not, it, it's kind of weird because you bring up like all this stuff that was happening while we were there Mm -hmm. and it's it's crazy because like like i'd say on most on most weeks we were working monday to saturday like like we'd 
there was very few days where like we weren't there like past dinner um and so like and then when like the we like going to hong kong was like our escape Mm -hmm. we used to like go to hong kong every so often and then the last weekend we were in hong kong is when the protests were like really bad and after that it was basically like oh we can't come back to hong kong for a while um because literally we got out of the subway in Hong Kong and there was tear gas. Yep. So wow. and it's also like we were, we were people there with Americans on visa. So there's like, you never mm-hmm. want to get stuck or like get into legal trouble. Cause we, we are there representing an accelerator. We're there to work. So it's just like, mm-hmm. at yep. this point it's like, maybe we, we can't go to Hong Kong anymore. And then liter- yeah. literally like a month later, we started hearing about the coronavirus and it's like, mm-hmm. okay, this is, this is a new challenge. Yeah. Um, and then all of our, obviously, like all of our family members, or parents are calling us. We're like, are you guys okay? Like, come yeah. on, you guys got to come home now, right? Like, this is, this is getting scary. And it was getting scary. And then I, I remember when they started canceling the flights, we were like, we, we had about a month's, work of, month's worth of work left to do in Shenzhen. And we were like, we don't want to get stuck here. Yeah. It was like what was running through our heads then. So basically, the end of January, we decided we were going to come home. Um, and try to finish like from like remote. So it took a couple more months for us to finish. But of course, by the time we got back, the pandemic kind of came with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to give you guys some like perspective, well, wait, well, the we, pandemic went with you? What? Yeah, it was it was in it was in his pet, uh, packed luggage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. There you go. Sorry, Colin there. Fauci yeah. here. Patient zero over here. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting for term. Yeah. I do want to touch on this a little bit too, though, because. Um, for us, we felt like we weren't in any immediate danger because Shenzhen is a is a new city. It was built in the last 40 years. Um, so no one actually lives permanently or has family in Shenzhen. Everyone's family is somewhere else in China. So um, when the pandemic like first broke out, that was that coincided with the Chinese New Year. So yeah. everyone had left the city. The city was a ghost town. It was literally only expats and other like random people that couldn't find a way home um so we were never within like let alone six feet but like like 20 feet of another person during this whole time but yeah like like Rashad was saying like it was scary that flights were the main problem like we didn't know if we were going to get home or not yeah and just for like a frame of reference yeah when when everyone was so scared when we left there were about like 50 cases a week (laughs) In Shenzhen, like that this, was this is a city. that was what, what was considered like oh no like DefCon one whatever and now we're at the point where we're at now where that seems like fifty cases a week I feel like we'd be celebrating yeah that's fifty cases yeah. a week in a city bigger than New York City yeah. or the country of Greece yeah. so yeah. That's like crazy. compared to the numbers now I mean no no one could have seen what what Dakota's way scarier now so yeah it's, mm. it's way scarier now but yeah like. The, so we came back and then we were like, we were like kind of like finishing up developing our product. And we were like, yeah, we were going to start getting this into restaurants. Like our original, we planned to like launch in like March. And we we're like, yeah, this might like push us back a couple months. But beginning of the summer, April, May, we'll be ready to put, put this cocktail dispenser in restaurants. And then, of, of course, uh, yeah. all the restaurants started closing down. Yeah. And so it, it, it was a super challenging like few months stretch from when we stopped going to Hong Kong to when to when we came back here and it, it seemed like like we had to reassess like a lot of 
what our business had planned to do. Mm -hmm. um, but we were able to make it out the other side. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And that's you guys kind of pivot because obviously you're entering a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Restaurants are fighting for their life. The last thing they want to do is invest in this yeah, so, unknown. Like so I think I think the big thing is we got a piece of advice like as the pandemic was happening. We have um, a, uh, another friend who, who has a company in a similar space and he he had just started rolling out his product and he had his boots to the ground. Like he had his, he, has, he had his ear to the ground. And basically what, what restaurant owners were telling him was like, stop selling and be helpful. Like, and that's like, kind of like, I feel like the best piece of advice we got at the start of the pandemic is like, if stop selling what you're doing, like your, your thing is gonna be important. If you believe it's value, will always be there and be helpful to people who's like, who are hurting right now. So we did like a couple of things at the start of the pandemic. Um, we started like writing articles and becoming experts on the reopening regulations. Like all the new laws were coming out. So like if, if restaurant owners had questions, we could answer them. And the second thing we did is we had all these manufacturers that we were working with like in China and they were starting to like pivot to manufacturing like a bunch of like protective equipment, right? For like, like mask gloves and stuff like that. So we decided to basically take our money um, and spend some on masks, gloves, hand sanitizer for restaurants to give them away like at cost and to the people in local areas to just give them wow. away nice. for free. So like, like, and that actually ended up paying dividends. That was like, like that advice of stop selling and being helpful ended up helping us sell. Um, and I can't talk too much about this, but one of like the recent clients we signed, um, the, the first time he heard of us was when we were um, like giving, giving away PPE. Wow. So like, like, like being helpful in the moment and uh, to be, to be completely lost, we could have been a little more helpful. We could have done a better job with that, but like had kind of having our mind in the right spot and having the kind of like mantra of like, are you helping your customers today? Like is what, mm -hmm. is what you're doing, helping the people you're going to end up selling to. Um, and as we like kind of get out of our pandemic, we think that like, our product and what we're doing can help restaurants, like honestly speaking. Mm. And if if it ever came to the point where we're like, what we were doing wasn't doing that, then it's it's time to stop doing it. Yeah. Um, and so uh, a, a lot of it was just like, we we, we kind of had the right mindset and we got really, really lucky. Um, yeah. And uh, especially with the startup, you, you have to get really lucky. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of companies like our friend's company who had, just launched mm -hmm. and then the pandemic hit and that involved like pulling out product stopping revenue we one yeah. of like our investors gave us like good advice when we first started when the pandemic first hit is like we're a little lucky that we were just before launching our products and we never yeah. had to go backwards we were able to kind of like hit the pause button mm -hmm. slow down be helpful wherever we can and we had enough like going for us enough cash in the bank that we kind of, we could kind of like bite out the time yeah um, and so, <laughs> yeah, Rashad, Rashad talked about this earlier, um, with, with like keeping burn down and during a pandemic, that's like the only thing you really can do with a new company. Yeah. Um, so like I was, I was sleeping over at like Kevin's house. Then I moved to like Rashad's house. And then I jumped into Brian's house for a bit. I was like trying to live as frugally as possible. Same with all of us. We were working out of, um, Kevin's dad's factory, um, with like a little corner of his space. We really, we just wanted to become like a ghost for a bit, uh, wow. just kind of really refine the the engineering that we had, really work on our on our business plan, 
um, basically set us up for success for when inevitably yeah. things do come back and, um, and people want us again. Yeah. Well, and as we're taping this right now, I'm uh, governor Waltz, just at least in Minnesota, shut down restaurants here. I know you guys are in San Diego mm -hmm. and it sounds like, uh, you guys are facing similar lockdowns. So like yep. kind of, how does that future look for you guys? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Forward? And that's kind of, as I said, we were in Pittsburgh. One of the reasons we came to San Diego was, um, how do we like get to a place where we can give people our product who need it and who are like acting in a safe way? So we we're kind of looking for a, a one of the things we were looking for is a city with a lot of outdoor dining. Mm -hmm. So even right now in San Diego, the indoor dining is shut down, but it's still like 60, 70 degrees outside. And wow. it's never going to get really colder than that. Uh, it's not Minnesota. Sorry, no. So it's still like 60, 70 degrees outside and the, and the places by the beach, like they can still safely serve customers. So that was like important to us is like, as the, as the vaccine news gets better, as we hope to return to normal life uh, from like quarter two next year, quarter three next year, um, how do we go to a place where we can still get our product in people's hands who need it, get people using it, make improvements. And one of the, that was one of the big reasons why we went to San Diego. Wow. Yeah. And then where do you guys kind of see yourself? Mm -hmm. I, if you want to get into that, like uh, going forward here. Yeah. Me. I mean, again, the, the, the next, next reason, steps? the next reason we put, we picked San Diego is obviously like, it's a good initial market right here. There's tons of like, there's a huge cocktail culture. Um, it's sunny all year round, but, but moving forward, right around the corner, you can drive a couple hours in, in either, in any direction, you'll hit like a big city, whether it's LA, uh, Las Vegas, Phoenix, mm -hmm. even like down to Mexico, um, there's market opportunities for us everywhere. Um, so San Diego is basically going to be like our, our little, um, it's like, it's like the first level of our video game where we're trying to like test our things out, get, get a feel for, for what works and what doesn't work. And then execute in like these big cities where where um you could be you could really be changing the atmosphere of the, of the of like the dining experience um yeah and i think like more of a like a bigger picture is like what's what's like coming for back bar is it's it, it, as we as we round the corner over the next couple months is is getting the machine helping customers. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. All the things that we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, we just finished up a test in Pittsburgh and we yep. started to see those things, but like long-term, are we making bartenders lives better? Are we helping restaurant owners like get more out of their restaurants so they can live better lives? Yep. Like if it, it's time for us to, to show that on yep. a long, over a long-term basis in real restaurants, we, we've built the, the groundwork when it comes to our product. We've built, built the groundwork when it comes to our manufacturing. We've set our business up. We've got our like marketing and messaging and branding straight. And now it's time to like show it, show, mm -hmm. show what we've got. And we're super, super excited to, to start this like next <laughs> chapter of the journey. Yeah, I think, I think when we tell people about our company, the first question they hit us with is, so are you trying to replace bartenders? Um, well, we've talked to a lot of bartenders and what we've seen over and over again, and they specifically told us this is that bartending is so much more than making a cocktail. Bartending is setting a culture. Bartending is um, making sure you're, you get to know your, your community. Bartending is keeping everything like keeping the restaurant running or the bar running as best as it can be. Um, and our machine just helps them do that. 
it makes them so they don't have to worry about making 30 Jack and Cokes an hour or something. And they can just focus on making really, uh, they can interact with their customers. They can make all the flashy drinks they want to. They, they can have the experience that they want to have um, and, and do it in any environment, whether it's uh, a sleepy Tuesday afternoon or a busy Saturday night. So that's kind of where we're here to help. I have a fun, dumb question, actually, Um, that just popped into my head. But Mm -hmm. when you guys were starting out, uh, kind of who was your taste testers? Like, did you guys like (laughs) go through a bunch of booze? Like, (laughs) like, and, you know, I mean, I I thought when we started this company, we'd be doing a lot more drinking. <laughs> but after you work for 13 hours solving whatever problem we're solving, mm-hmm. you just want to go to bed. <laughs> um, so when it comes to like taste testing, a lot of it was like, as we build these revisions of machines, like when we were in China, we used to do Friday night, like come test our machines with all the people at our accelerator. So more than us drinking, we like bring our friends down as like, hey, we just like fixed this problem. Now we're gonna try making drinks again. Do you guys want some drinks? And um, it was like, it was funny because the people who are at our accelerator with us were like, we were at that point, we were considered a pre-revenue company. So they'd come down to like our little area in the yeah. office. And while as we're testing drinks, they'd give us like 10, dollar, R- 10 yeah. RMB, which is like, the ch- the equivalent to a dollar and they're like hey here's here's the drink now you guys can say you guys have revenue some of the more fun mm-hmm. testing we did was like every few weeks as we like made improvements we do that in china and then obviously the the big piece of testing is like we just we just got down um with a one month test in a restaurant outside the pittsburgh area before we came to san diego it was like cool like making their menu and then like asking their regulars how everything was tasting like and stuff like that. So that was like a more serious version of yeah. like our China tests. But I, I will say though, um, we probably have one of the longest list of, of alpha testers uh, that any company does because everyone that comes and meets us asks if they can be like one of the first people to try our cocktails. <laughs> right? We've been batting them to the list and I don't know if we've crossed anyone off just yet, but yeah. What's hey, the? Uh, I guess I guess oh. when all this is over, you guys can join the list and come definitely Hell come yeah. visit us. And say, wow. Can we put one in my house? <laughs> um, you got you got some money in, in the bank. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Ask me in like a few years. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll make this promise. If this podcast goes viral, we can we can talk. We can send one of our gratitude. Yeah, you can have you can have the the beta test model that we just took out. I'm never oh. for, gonna forget that, you guys. Yeah. You know. Rishab doubts us. How could he? No, I don't. Da- no, it's never, I, I could never doubt you. I'm, I'm already talking about what we'll be talking about in episode 20. Yeah. Oh, episode, yeah, yeah. Episode yeah, 20, exactly. we'll be back on. I'm sure you guys will be. You'll you be regulars. Be- you got you to gotta do the Shark Tank thing where it's like, where are they now? Like a couple years later. And then, oh, oh for sure. I love those ones too. Yeah. It's we'll a be like, success story. Well, turns out San Diego has another <laughs> 2020. Couldn't stop you- us. <laughs> That you great weather that didn't show back up. Bar we had on two years ago. What a train wreck! Yeah. <laughs> no way, no way. Yeah, no, it'll be cool. Uh, oh. Well, thank you guys so much for uh, taking the time here to uh, chat with us. I thought this was a great interview. Yeah, you guys are so fun to listen to. I like just don't mind sitting <laughs> and not saying anything and letting you guys tell your story. It's so interesting. That was Rashab and Adam of Back Bar Solutions. Jillian and I could not have done this alone. Thank you so much to Jeremy Bird and the rest of the Blackberry Boys on the wonderful music. 
uh, Ryan Jarvis on Fantastic Logo. Still loving it. Awesome as ever. Uh, thank you to Linnea Okison and Jake Nowry for any ideas when we get stuck, which is a lot. Uh, Gene and Johan Okson for that great photo shoot. And of course, uh, Rashab and Adam for taking the time to sit down and chat with us. And how could I forget all our loyal uh, listeners? Thank you for sitting through yet another episode. Um, see you guys next time. Thanks. <laughs>